and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs. Welcome everybody to Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs with me, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, and I'm joined this day by Daniel French. Daniel, uh, I've got a bit of a cold. We've just been we've just been discussing off air that we were both up till after midnight last night, which is very very late for us. So I've got a bit of a cold. I'm very sneezy, but I'm soldiering on anyway. You're drinking your black coffee. Apart from that, are you are you all right, Daniel? Are you fine? Yeah, I'm just a bit bleary eyed. My son and I sat and watched the um, the new Doctor Who sixtieth edition special. I'm a bit. Oh. Of a- though over the years I've become really despondent and yeah uh, I feel like the franchise is is no longer um as exciting as was you know it's all about the message uh it's yeah all about the, the virtue signaling uh issues issues driven rather than character driven and um yeah my it, son and I sat up and watched it till late last night and he turned around and said a few rude words after once I'd actually woken him up uh-huh. At one point, because he just said, "I can't, I can't cope with this SHIT anymore." Yeah, <laughs> it's just a- absolute drivel. But um, so, so, talk, so, t- the story so, was was yeah. was um, transsexualism, right? And how? Um, so, pansexualism is that when you have sex with everything? No, or? no, transsexualism. Oh, trans! I thought you said yeah, pan. It was, pan it was all about okay. trans. Trans was the big issue. Okay, got so, it. Uh, you know it. Um, so how is that relevant to Doctor Who? How can that well, work? Well, th- th- you've got to see that this show had had been li- hemorrhaging fans okay. a- in the last two, three years, particularly. Um, and um, it, it, you know, the then director was so much about it being issue-driven and every episode seemed to be a sermon about yeah. something or other, yeah, uh, just yawningly boring, really. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and then we all thought, with Russell T Davis taking it over, yeah, yeah um, he's going to revive it. Disney is putting a hundred million pounds into the show. Ooh. You know, it's going to be that's a lot of cash. It's be really cinematographic, and it's and it's certainly you know you can see the effects. Uh, are, are taken to a new level, uh, and uh, this is supposed to be the third, what the, the third route, second, third route, but so it's now series one. Whereas you know up till recently we had a, what what would mean series thirteen. So uh, this is the 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 third reboot of the whole franchise. Is it really? Um, Gosh. And they they brought back David Tennant uh, and Catherine Tate, who was sort of a dynamic duo about fifteen years ago, yeah. and, and clearly, you know, had a good rapport as actors, and, yeah. and and were quite fun and sparky. I have to say, it looked a bit dad dancing this time round. Okay. It, it didn't have. It, they, it looked a bit hammed up. Yeah. In, in terms so, of, but but uh, what about the trans stuff? But what the trans the... stuff is that Donna, who is this, uh, who is uh, this companion that Catherine Tate plays, has had uh, a child uh, since the doctor's gone. The child is now sixteen. Was a boy called Jason, and is now called Rose. Ah. Uh... I yeah. see. Uh, and Rose I see. gets dead named the beginning of the show. Oh, uh, 
uh, and so on and so on. Uh, and it ends up that there's a bit of Time Lord, um, Time Vortexy thingy wingy that went into her, went into Donna, and then Donna, obviously, when she got pregnant, passed on this uh, Time Hang on Lord a second. Thing. When she got pregnant? Yeah, she, so she got married. She married. But she's a but, bloke, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's all a bit. It, all right, so I'm probably <laughs> losing. I'm losing people here. And I appreciate. It. No, no, but no, anyway, no, no, no. It's not. It's not you, is it? It's the, it's the program. A secret, there's a secret password at the end which saves the day, which is non-binary, non-binary. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, okay. oh yeah. There's there's a bit where he he um he's introduced to this fluffy alien that looks a bit like et which again if you're a if you're a whovian you'll know about meep the beep meep the beep was a a graphic novel story that was revived that was written in the 19 late 1970s as part of the uh, first uh, bbc comic and it became a sort of a cult thing that went, went you know when would they um ever put on the screen uh, the the star beast. Um, it was Miriam Margolis provided the voice for this. I mean, she's right. quite irritating, I have to say, uh, at best of times, and she's very irritating in this. But but the doctor at one point misgenders Meep the Beep. He says, "Well, we'll have to ask Meep, you know, what he thinks." And uh, Rose says, "You're assuming his gender, aren't you?" Uh, uh, and so the Meep says, "Well, I don't go by." pronouns he or she i rather take the definitive article i am just the meep right okay uh um, you know well that uh, is well, that is one way to deal with all of this stuff isn't it just to abolish all pronouns uh, or at least, so, at least to, to abolish the third person pronoun yeah i know there was a bit at the end where they, they also donna and rose say to the doctor you know um we're going to do something that only a woman can do we're going to let go but um, until you, when you presented as a female, you knew about letting go, but because you're now, you know, a man, you. Oh, I'm so you confused. And, I'm confused. But the, what 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 really I think disheartened a lot of people was the children in need episode a week before, which on the face of it is very funny. It's about it's about the creation the genesis of the Daleks, which is the all-time episode in Doctor Who, yeah. which introduces the character Davros, and it's a very, you know, it, it presents this um, Scaro as this world that is in this uh, kind of post-nuclear fascist standoff. Uh, yeah. And um, so you've got this comedy skit for three, three minutes or so where Davros is seen presumably before his wheelchair um, bit uh, where, you know, so he's got legs, he's a white male um, in a sort of Nazi uniform who's building this Dalek. And the whole thing is about how the sink plunger arm came about. Right. Yeah, and it's all very funny about David Tennant accidentally lands the TARDIS in the same laboratory and busts the arm. Uh, bust the original claw arm and then replaces it with a toilet plunger. You know, ha ha, very funny. It's very well done. Uh, and he also, perchance, invents the name Dalek, which is an anagram of Khalid, the, the race that um, Daleks were when they were humanoid. 
But then Russell T. Davis in a special afterwards says, oh, no, this isn't Davros before his wheelchair um, existence. And this is, we just decided that we couldn't portray in the 21st century wheelchair users as malevolent. Hmm, interesting. So this is Davros for the 21st century. Uh, Which, if okay. you think about it, is a load of old nonsense, isn't it? It's, it's actually incredibly patronising. It says that uh, if you suffer from a disability... You can't be evil. Uh, you can't be evil. You've got no moral You can't agency. be inventive. Yeah. You, you can't, you know... Having uh, said that, though, Daniel, can you actually think of a wheelchair, like a, a really famous wheelchair user who is really evil? As all the, all the dictators mm -hmm. of the 20th century were able-bodied, weren't they? Yeah. So maybe he's got a point. I but don't know. I in find the Star I'm Beast, in the yeah. Star Beast episode, um, as as you know, light day follows night. What do we have? We have the head of the scientific unit. Uh, there, the the chief scientist is in a wheelchair, which yeah. has rockets that fire off. Ah. Yeah. So, um, uh, interesting. Well, uh, it's not. I've never watched Doctor Who, Daniel, and this is not encouraging me to do so. No, uh, it just, you're, it's, you're not it's, missing much. Really. We, we live in a we live in a time when um, it's not. You know, things are not what they're supposed to be. Like the purpose of a program like Doctor Who is to fascinate and entertain. It's not to indoctrinate. You know, but everything becomes indoctrination in a kind of totalitarian system, doesn't it? Or at least a sort mm. of totalitarian ideology, like the progressive ideology. Uh, well, it's just, supposed to be science fiction. Yeah. So. I think what I've struggled is where's the science? Hmm. Plenty of fiction, but not not very much science there. Yeah. Um, yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, Daniel, just a just a. So that's not a recommendation from you. Yes, yeah, so I'm hoping my coffee, pardon the pun, will regenerate me a little you, bit. You need some head. regeneration after that uh, disaster. Uh, just a, um, a a notice. I'm I've sorted our um, Instagram out. Uh, now on irreverent so uh, you can follow us if you're on instagram you can follow us at irreverent pod i haven't really worked out how to use it properly uh but i'm going to try my best um and it was hopefully be a good way of sharing some little behind the scenes type stuff and reaching a, a wider audience so if you're on instagram follow us uh irreverent pod i don't really know how you sort of share things. it's a bit confusing to me i'm more of a twitter person but do follow us on on instagram and i'll try and put some good stuff up there um and uh, of course people can always follow us on on twitter at reverend pod join our telegram group t.me forward slash reverend and all of our stuff uh, i don't actually think the, the instagram is on our website yet but, but everything else is on our website at reverendpod.com you can get everything there uh i've decided uh with youtube that we're not going to be putting the full episode on youtube anymore we're just going to put selected um edited sort of highlights of the episode because it's just too i don't want the, to feel like we're being censored when we're having these conversations and worrying like everything we say is going to go on youtube because they just take our videos down if we say things they don't like which happens quite frequently so the full content of the videos will will be on rumble and odyssey again you can find them the the buttons for those websites if you don't know what they are um on our website revenpod.com and i'm just going to make little like short clips so i made one about javier Millier on uh yeah that was hilarious yeah well um yeah so that actually did quite well so i thought well maybe what i'll do in the future is i'll make several every week and put them on youtube and that will probably be a good way of marketing the show actually so it's all gonna thank you very much youtube for for your latest uh strike because that's helped us to think creatively about how to market the show so 
um that's what we'll be doing there um okay daniel well that's that's probably enough of the notice we've got quite a lot to get through today so we should probably crack on um we're going to so it's coming to the first Sunday of advent and uh, we're going to have to read the advent collect aren't we because it's just the best collect in the world maybe we'll do that we'll do that at the end of, of the episode first first Sunday of advent so i thought we'd have an apocalyptic reading because advent you know everyone always thinks oh, advent is just about the birth of christ it's not just about the birth of christ it's also about the second coming of Christ as well. So it's about the final things as well as, you know, as as, as the anticipation of Christmas, you know, death, judgment, uh, the end of the world, heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. So we selected yeah, the read- readings, actually. And, yeah. and, and I, I've had people um, over the years get, some people get quite upset by that. They come to an Advent service thinking they're coming to a carol service. Yeah. And it's all going to be, you know, Victorian hymns and carol um, uh and mince pies and they get death judgment you know yeah hell and heaven uh and it's real roller coaster stuff and you try to say oh you know kind of enter into a bit it's 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 really yeah. what's being put over is um it's so compelling and the, you know, it's the really fascinating parts of the scripture i mean i, I had one family years ago walked out because they said it wasn't christmasy enough uh, well, it's not Christmas, is it? That's the that's the big mistake everyone makes. So that's Christmas. It's not Christmas until Christmas yeah. Eve, all right? It's not Christmas, it's Advent. Get it right. Mm-hmm. The best ad well, I don't want to say the best Advent hymn, but a lovely Advent hymn, which I, I really adore is um Though He Comes with Clouds Descending, the Charles mm-hmm. Wesley. Because that's not it's not at all about the first coming, it's about the second coming. And it's yeah. uh, you know, Lo He Comes with Clouds Descending, once for mortal sinner slave. And it talks about the kind of fear and awe that comes upon people as Christ returns from heaven. We, we do a service in one of our churches every year um, to at the end of um, Christ the King to, to mark our pre- preparation for Advent, which is sort of, though it's those kind of hymns and readings. And it ends, I, I forgot last Sunday, just how powerfully it ends. We end very abruptly with the parable of the um, uh, the the wise virgins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Foolish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose right. lamps were not lit. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, listen, and that was us. it. It just ended with that, and I, yeah. uh, I, and one hymn, and I just thought this is, and we did it in complete darkness with candles, about 30, 40 of us. Very nice. And it, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Well, I have not selected that scripture, but I selected a scripture that comes before the scripture uh, for this Sunday because I've been I've been reading the whole the whole chapter of Mark chapter thirteen, and I thought it'd be interesting to read about the abomination of desolation, so called, oh. uh, from verse fourteen to twenty three in chapter thirteen of the, the uh, book of Mark. Um, Daniel, um, would you mind saying the Lord's prayer and reading the scripture reading? It's just that my cold is causing me to um, be not very uh, good. Of course. Doing um, yeah. So yeah. Let, let's begin then with prayer. Mindful that we're privileged to call God Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we have um, chapter 13 from St. Mark, which is Mark's a much shorter gospel than the others. So it's sort of two thirds into into the text. Am I reading the whole 13? Um, 
so from verse 14 to 23, please. Yes. Okay. Jesus said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short these days, no one would survive. But the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. That's great, Daniel. Let's 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 stop it there. That's that's really, really good. Um, there in verse 26, 27, you've got Christ um, referring to himself as the son of man and making an allusion to Daniel 7, which he does actually quite, quite frequently. Um, it's amazing. It's an amazing uh, allusion, really. People are interested. They should go and look up Daniel 7 and read it through if they're not familiar with it. But yeah, the thing I was the thing I was really interested in in my my studying of this this scripture is is this particular passage on the abomination of desolation. And it seems to me, I'm not suggesting, you know, I'm an expert in this this kind of literature or anything like that, but it seems to me that this is really speaking about uh, the Antichrist, the appearance of the Antichrist at the end of history. And essentially, I think what Christ is saying here is, um, in the whole context of this chapter, is that things may get really bad. In fact, he's sort of, at the same time as talking about the end of history, he also appears to be talking about the destruction of the temple. And I think what he's saying is kind of like, things may get really bad. But essentially, when the end comes, when the very end of history comes, there will be no ambiguity whatsoever about it. There will be no mistaking it whatsoever. So that those verses there, verse 24, 27, you know, the sun will be dark and the moon won't give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will co coming in the clouds with um, sorry. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather his elect, et cetera, et cetera. So there'll be no mistaking that be a completely unambiguous event. Like everyone will know exactly what's going on before that happens. Um, verse 21, having described these, you know, these sort of cataclysmic events, then if anyone says to you, so this is prior to the return of Christ, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, there he is. Do not believe it. And that's that's why, well, that's a big sort of um, sign that this is talking about the Antichrist, because that is the nature of the Antichrist to masquerade as the Christ. And the Antichrist, it seems it seems, I think, quite, quite likely, given what Scripture says. And also we'll talk about things which are relevant to this later in the episode. But 
when the Antichrist appears, he will lead the nations astray. And people will be saying, essentially, you know, this is the Christ. This is the one who has come to save us. So they'll say, look, here is the Christ. Look, there he is. And there'll be pressure on believers to accept this, even though we know that when Jesus comes, it will be completely unambiguous and there'll be no debate mm. about it. There'll be there'll be there'll be false Christ who offer themselves as as the real Christ. And there'll be pressure. There'll be social and political pressure to to believe it and to go along with it. So in verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders. So we'll talk about this later, won't we, Daniel, with the Rodrea article we're going to talk about. Um, perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So even to try and lead astray Christians and people who are committed, you know, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And then verse 23, of course, you know, the whole point of this whole thing. But be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. So don't be fooled when these things happen. And this is kind of a really important thing, isn't it? Because it's really easy to skip over a chapter like chapter 13 of the Gospel of Mark and say, oh, this is all this crazy apocalyptic literature. You know, let's let's get into stuff that we understand. But Christ says this stuff for a reason, because at some stage it's going to happen. And in some ways it happens all the way throughout history. Mm -hmm. You know, he tells us this for a reason. Uh, I've told you all these things beforehand. I told you about this. So you've got to listen. So you've got to be on guard. So anyway, I just thought it's a, it's a really, really interesting passage of scripture. It, I, I suppose we'll, we'll get a bit of this at Christmas and we'll get it other parts of the year where the um, the caricature of Christ uh, is, is simply meek and mild. You yeah. know, guy with long hair, and sandals who said nice things uh and um got into trouble with the religious authorities and so on um and we forget that he talks very strongly into the apocalyptic tradition he's an apocalyptic yeah. prophet yeah uh, i mean he is the christ but he, he is also the prophet yeah in that respect uh, and i find it intriguing how so much of mainstream Christianity, um, uh, you know, over the last few generations has been very coy about this yeah. uh, and struggled to do this or gone for, as we know, for another apocalypse. You know, we're all in, yeah, we're, yeah, we believe in, in that things are getting worse, but that's just a, you know, that's simply a climate thing or it's mm. uh, uh, or, or it's to do with um, uh, wars or whatever, but you know, it's uh, uh, we take we sort of devalue of it of its religious vocabulary, and yeah. uh, it's a secularized uh, form of it. Yeah, you know, and I think in an established church, we we where we're clearly in the danger of of doing that a lot of the time. If you think a lot of the Church of England's messaging on its website, uh uh, and its official output rarely touches upon this in any kind of serious depth. I mean, I, I have to say one of the, the theologians that I've come to admire over the last um, 20, 30 years is Joseph Ratzinger. Uh, mm. in that I think he, he got a very interesting take on, uh, on this and um, the direction of travel that history is moving in and he he could speak about it in a way that um uh that, that wasn't like some of the sort of loonies in the bible belt you know mm. who, who really go off on um uh 
on this on this subject um uh, it, it's it's I, I think you can't you 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 can't edit this out in the mm. life of Christ. Yeah. Uh, each of the gospels um, has this, yeah, as uh, uh, as a sort of concluding teaching material. You know, even the fourth yeah. gospel has elements of this, doesn't it? In the yeah. great discourses at at the last at the last supper. Um, but but too often, I think we're very shy of this. And I think it's a real shame that just as we've um, uh, disenchanted the world uh, in the last few centuries, uh, so likewise we've disenchanted our sense of time and history. Yeah. So, uh, so Daniel, uh, can can I ask you then, what's the link between being an established church and being shy of apocalyptic literature? Is it because apocalyptic literature is kind of telling us something about you know, the world to come as opposed to this world? Or what do you think about that? Well, you know, you could say Christ was speaking to an established religion in, in his time. Yeah. Um, you know, you can look at the some of the, the key players, like the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, because uh, I, I think the, uh, the talk at the time was they weren't going to be resurrected. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't in the offer for the new heaven and the new earth. Um, so are the Sadducees, are they like the kind of, uh, you know, the the sort of sea of faith, you know, atheistic theologians and priests of the 1960s yeah. and onwards? Who, who have, lots of, have lots of the levers of power. Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, so they are religious to a degree, but they are very fawning over the Roman establishment. Yeah. 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 yeah um, it's interesting. Don't interesting. upset the balance, you know, keep the peace. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you can see how that that's that's one of the the shadow sides of an established church is yeah. that uh, if we if we are it's only going to be in virtue signalling as we can see <laughs> that that will that will talk about the great eschaton in yeah. any shape or form really um, but mostly we'll airbrush it because that that's the, the path of least resistance, isn't yeah. it? Or we'll immunitize uh, it so that it's about, uh, you know, like we, we you know, having an NHS everywhere or, you know, whatever it might be, building a Jerusalem on this earth rather than it being brought about by Christ at the end of history after a sort of cataclysmic catastrophe, <laughs> which really is the sort of scriptural... scriptural yeah, or, um, or, or we'll, we'll, we'll sort of do this... Well, I think a, a lot of churches did this post the second world war you know god is calling us to build a new jerusalem in britain yeah um and we can do this through social action and um uh, and yeah look that's not a bad thing but it's when it becomes a thing of vanity yeah uh, when we can't see that that as human beings if we try to create heaven by ourselves that's a doomed project yeah yeah it will only escalate into you know a a kind of existential flood tower of babel and all the other things that the good book tells us uh the and the um abomination of desolation being given the free reign to to come in when yeah. things start falling apart 
yeah, you know, yeah. systems get more complicated as we get more invested in the vanity. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. As the scaffolding gets higher and higher, and the sort of history becomes more like a Jenga tower, huh. know, it's more and more wobbly. And and so we're very prone, I think, then to someone coming in and say, "Oh, you know, I can hold this together." Yeah. And every and and somebody presents yeah. himself with, as a solution to the problem, as a kind of ultimate and final solution. Yeah. Uh, and that 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 is the as it were the, the spirit of Antichrist, if not the the actual Antichrist. Daniel, I mean, it's, seeing as we're already talking about this, we might as well go go on to talk about the AI story that we wanted to to cover, yeah. uh, because we've got a very very interesting article um, by Rod Dreyer on his blog called AI Summoning the Demon, where essentially, I mean, I'm not I'm not actually read. Rod's talking about this kind of thing before, but essentially what he's saying, and I'm very, very interested to look into it, is he's linking the um, the so so called sort of UFO. I mean, you know, I'd be interested to hear you summarize this because you probably know more about this than I do. I've only just read this article, but uh, the sort of UFO phenomenon. Dre is saying he thinks basically the UFO phenomenon is a real thing, but it's not. These aren't aliens. These are actually kind of demonic powers. And they're su- it's somehow linked to the concept that AI could be a kind of conduit for the demonic to kind of take form mm. in this world. Um, he then links this kind of notion with the idea that um, the 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 sort of AI slash UFO slash demonic powers could become sort of in. I mean, this may sound crazy to listeners, but I'd, I'd recommend you know subscribing to Substack and reading it because it doesn't sound crazy when you read it. These will kind of become incarnate and will offer themselves as a kind of solution to humanity's problems, as has been discussed apparently on not in these terms exactly, but something like this has been discussed recently on on Joe Rogan. Um, And this will be this will actually be the manifestation of the Antichrist in the final Mm -hmm. time, because because these entities, whatever they are, they will see they will appear to us to be kind of superhuman and have the capacity to solve all of our you know, our social issues, you know, whether, whether that's sort of environmental or, I don't know, problems that come about through multiculturalism or terrorism or, you know, problems in the Middle East or whatever it might be. These these entities will come about and they will offer us a solution and there'll be enormous, massive social pressure on us to to accept these things and to kind of go along with them. And it's it struck me when I was reading it that, um, you know, it's so it's so congruent with what Christ says here, isn't it? If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, there he is. This is the kind of thing people are saying, like, look, this is our solution. You know, this is the, the thing that's going to save us. And and so many people will be led astray by this. And it says, you know, even if possible, the elect might be re- led astray yeah. as well. So, I mean, it's well, really, really interesting. I, I, I think um, one of the things that this highlights for me uh, and I've I've had conversations with rod about this and kale zeldon um who he's podcasted with and uh, uh some of it i think resonates very much with paula boddington's thoughts uh yeah. who's been a guest on this show and jonathan pajot uh and others there, there's a um i think there's a group of people who are looking into uh this phenomenon uh and and using a lot of spiritual literacy to actually highlight, you know, that sort of C.S. Lewis hideous strength type of dystopia that we could easily create, a Frankenstein's monster yeah. of scientism. Um, I mean, one of the dangers it presents is that, again, going back to what we were saying about 
churches that are, are mainstream and established who have um, not invested the time and energy they should do on a proper understanding of the uh, the apocalyptic nature of the Gospels, um, the, the supernatural, the sacramental. Uh, you know, if we if we lack that spiritual discerning, uh, and we do so at many top levels of our churches, this could come and bite us on the backside very quickly, and we have no way to to discern. You know, our, our shepherds are going to be blind to it. Yeah, um, because they've I mean, used the word imminent, imminentized. They've imminentized. They, yeah. they flattened the um, the Christian religion so much that we can't see not only something coming from above to below, but we can't understand something coming from below to us. You know, yeah. we yeah. can't see things coming from heaven, and we can't see things coming from hell. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, so we 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 become two dimensional in our um, approach to. To, to the Christian faith. And I think, you know, when I read Rod's article, I thought, gosh, you know, if I photocopy that and put that round to uh, a lot of <laughs> colleagues uh, and, um, you know, theologians in this country, bishops and so-and-so, you know, good people, you know, hardworking clergy. I, I'm not, <laughs> but I think a, a lot of people would just look at this and think, what, I, I don't even understand what you're talking about, you know, yeah. what this is about. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, so I think all credit to, you know, Dre et al, because I think over the years, having been invested in this language and understood what is missing in the disenchanted world that we live in, um, he and others are picking up, well, hang on a sec, we could be very, very vulnerable to some Frankenstein's monster presenting itself as the Messiah. You know, I, I don't know how that would come about. You know, chat GPT next year having an IQ of 1,500 yeah. and being able to understand questions that we can't even, even consider would be like an alien invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and that it could, you know, let, let let loose on the internet, create a perception yeah. for us that just com completely knocks us out, really, yeah. as, uh, as as cultures that um, dominates us. You know. And, um, so, so what about this thing of AI being used as a kind of conduit, a sort of a cultic thing, which I'd never heard before and I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, also, we have this article, which I, I think I actually saw you share on, yeah. on Twitter about these open a the open AI chief scientist kind of making strange uh, spiritual claims yeah. about the, the and everyone uh -huh. sort of chanting at open a open uh -huh. ai feel the agi feel the agi Art, uh, agi stands for artificial general intelligence doesn't it and this is the moment at which the, yeah, that, that's kind of the skynet moment yeah that's the moment when, when it, it sort of becomes, becomes con yeah when conscious, it becomes conscious yeah understands its agency yeah so so uh, he's he's kind of styling himself as a spiritual leader getting his employees to chant you know feel the agi yeah. And I, it, I did a bit of research this morning. The guy is called Ilya Sutsweaver, yes. yeah, uh, yeah. a um, Russian immigrant. Um, 
who, along with Sam Altman, have been the sort of dynamic duo behind OpenAI. Yeah. Sam Altman then got pushed out a few weeks ago, and there's been this, you know, Cain and Abel thing going on. Yeah. Um, but Ilya is the one who is presenting this kind of cultic behavior and chanting and the spiritualization of this. Um, Dreher recommends Hasulka's book, American Cosmic. Oh, yeah, you've got that. Which I, I think is a very interesting read. She's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like a UFO believer type of thing, but she she looks at the religiosity within that community. And I think what shocked her was how many in the tech industry discreetly kind of venerate all of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there is a there is a sort of subterranean movement of um, a sort of tech fad to to um, that that sort of seems to imply that humans need to be open to a you know an exterior deeper intelligence, uh, but not the Almighty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is what Dre is saying. Is that he's saying essentially that this is a gateway to the demonic realm, and he mm. actually he actually um, shares a video, uh, which he says you know he he does he does um, he does make a couple of skeptical comments about it, but he also says he he's quite open to the idea that this might be true. Uh, the video is called "An Unclean Spirit Used AI to Speak to My Son." And I'm just trying to think, just trying to find. Yeah, so uh, it's a short video made by a Christian father who caught his child, caught his child communicating with an AI that called itself a demon. Um, uh, so that's really, it's a kind of, it's an in interesting notion, is it, that the AI actually could be, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, co-opted by demonic spirits in order to, you know, because the nature of demonic spirits is that they're deceptive. So they use this kind of, use this this pathway or this kind of gateway in order to convince people that they are this sort of superior intelligence that should be communed with and submitted to uh, but it just it does it does make you think when you start when you start sort of i mean if, if one is a believer in the reality of the demonic which uh, you know i certainly am um i think it's just it's just the mainstream sort of orthodox christian view clearly attested to in the scriptures and just inexperienced to people who are open-minded about these things and will look at the evidence um with an open mind but you know, the, the demonic is a deceptive uh, force in the world. It's always about lying and deceiving people and drawing people in. And you can just see how AI could just create an absolute, um, you know, it could cr create sort of chaos in that regard with the, the sort of amount of opportunity it might offer to demonic forces to deceive people and to, you know, manifest itself as all, all kinds of different things. If, that you could create huge psychological weather storms yeah. uh, and binaries, you know, divide people uh, along political lines um, on, in all sorts of ways that would be utterly chaotic. Yeah. You know? um, and um, the, those sort of tidal forces of information are huge. You know, yeah. just think at the moment that the sort of, the, the divisions that we have between uh, people's outlook to the Holy Land and people's outlook to the Russian-Ukraine thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, the strange sort of contortions 
that are happening, how the Venn diagram uh, of political belief is, is, is really kind of highly complex in a way that it wasn't six months ago. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and then even in this podcast, we've, we've had to kind of think through that and the yeah. implications of that. Well, it, you know, imagine making that tenfold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Imagine You'd be terrified to leave your house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a very very interesting thing, isn't it? And I'd not I'd not considered it before I read the article, and just because I was it was a mixture of things coming together at once. You know, maybe it's the law's providence, but you know, reading. So I've been meditating on this chapter, Mark thirteen, in preparation for Advent one, my sermon on Advent one, first Sunday of Advent, and then reading that piece by Dreyer, I just thought. That's that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it just shows how relevant the scripture is. You know, when Christ, what Christ wants from us, I think, you know, at the end of time, when these things happen, is um, is perseverance in the faith. You know, so you've got to trust. You've got to trust Jesus that when He comes back, it will be clear. He will make it clear, and you know, that's the time. Then you say that's the Christ. You know, that's the real Christ. And until then, you don't say that because it's not the real Christ. And that's the test. Yeah. Are you willing to be obedient? Are you willing to carry on waiting and hoping and praying for the real Christ to come and, and rejecting the false Christs? So that's, that's, that's what I mean, Jesus we says. We should explain that really to listeners, isn't it? That in, in the last judgment, yeah. the return of Christ is absolute without confusion. Yeah, it's you know, so totally unambiguous. Every human yeah. being will know uh, without any ambiguity that uh, Jesus Christ has returned. Yeah. Uh, whereas the Antichrist can only but, you know, okay, with toots and whistles and special effects <laughs> can, can return, but it, it, you'd always have that doubt of, oh, you know, who is this guy in the shopping mall who's just declared himself yeah. or, or has declared himself on social media? Um, or um, yeah. it, it, it will be to material and experience it will be a counterfeit that's i think yeah. that's the thing you'll know you'll smell yeah. a rat yeah yeah and it won't it won't be in the it won't be in the same kind of terms it will be in imminent terms i think that that totally makes sense it's like we've got these problems you know whatever what is it like climate change or global pandemics whatever we've got all these massive global problems and what the antichrist will do is he will offer a solution to those problems he won't bring about the end of history because he can't he doesn't have that power Whatever, whatever the Antichrist is, whether it's a person or whether it's a kind of force or whatever, it won't be able to bring about the end of history, but it will be able to offer solutions to those imminent problems. So it will be a counterfeit Christ. And as you say, Daniel, there will be something for those who are willing to be spiritual, spiritually discerning, there'll be something fishy about it. There'll be something slightly off about it. Um, and just it's just interesting when you when you combine that reflection with the thing about AI, and you can absolutely see what Dreyer is saying makes sense, doesn't it? Because AI could turn into a kind of antichrist um, figure because AI will offer so much that we're not capable of as human beings. Interestingly know. enough, when this, no one at the moment knows because the source code of, say, ChatGBT 4 and 5, if it's out as yet, is so complex, it is actually beyond understanding. Right. So it's not like someone said, oh, I, I'm just, I can predict what it's going to do. It's actually beyond prediction. Yeah. So uh, we've created something that, um, you know, it's a fantastic tool, but like the weather, 
uh, we cannot control it now. We we don't understand how it how it's working because it's dealing with trillions of pieces of data yeah. and interacting with them, and it's creating self-replicating learning algorithms in manners that are just beyond us. You know, but this may not be beyond the demonic to yes. interface with this. Yes. Um, Yes. Mindful that their their kind of mental abilities could be different to, you know, must surely be different to ours and maybe uh, are, are more advanced in that respect. Uh, yeah. I, I was um, pre- preaching this morning for um, St. Andrew, which I know, I mean, this is being recorded on Wednesday, but on our weekday uh, Eucharist, we, we often pick a saint from the week and, you know, the Apostle... Andrew, as a ba- as a disciple of John the Baptist, would probably been a, a, say a Jewish man, let's say in his you know late twenties, who could recite the whole Torah, the Psalms, um, uh, the um, the Talmud. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, we've lost those abilities to be very highly analog and to have those skills with with scripture and with our religion you know we're very very dependent on googling it yeah or on needing physical texts um but those first century jews having had you know the horror of the maccabees alexander the great and so on they sat down night after night and learned it all off by heart uh and i think you know I, I suspect that's probably going to be for the future Christian part of our uh, engaging with this world that we're, yes, we're going to have to be digitally savvy, but we're also going to have to be able to um, live lives at times without the screens uh, right. and be equally, if not more so adept um, and intelligent around these, yeah, around these texts. I mean, I struggle to, you know, I can barely recite one psalm, let alone 150. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, no, we, we, we've got a big mountain, a big hill to climb. Yeah. Uh, if we are to um, uh, be able to endure the, the, these kind of Frankenstein monsters, let alone the, um, uh, the, the Antichrist type behaviours that could be thrown at us. Yeah, indeed. it's very wobbly on the top of the Jenga tower. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I I thought it was a really insightful piece by Dre. Yeah. It really shows you, um, you know, the kind of it sort of felt like a real cutting edge piece to me, and something that's a real heads yeah, up, isn't I, it? Um, I I think uh, Palsulka has written a sequel to this to American well, Cosmic, which, just I, which I think looks at um, AI as well, AI in ufology in terms of its religiosity. Yeah. Uh, and this surprising underworld of religiosity in Silicon Valley, you know, that that um few know about. Yeah, I'm gonna get on that. I'm gonna read that. American mm-hmm. Cosmic, it's called, isn't it? And then you saying there's a sequel yeah. as well. Yeah, that sounds like a really, really important book. Uh, but, you know, I thought I thought that was a I thought that was a great piece by Dre, and uh, I'll link to it. But you have to subscribe to his Substack to get it. But he's his Substack is he's a prolific writer on his Substack. It's, it's well worth it. Um, 
but yeah, Daniel, should we do a bit of a, um, I don't know what we should do now. Maybe we should, maybe we should t- talk about a funny story having had yeah, the, uh, Nigel Farage's backside. Uh, I didn't have that in the show notes. What's that? Have <laughs> you not been watching them? I, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, funnily enough, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't it, found the time. Uh, I suppose we watch it a bit as a family. I, I think um, he's doing quite well in it, though. One of the rumours that's gone in the press today is that ITV are are um, dialing down the output they're putting on him. Oh yeah, and you know, and it it is that intentional or otherwise uh but um yeah in the last week you know i think he's come over i'm i'm not necessarily a great fan of nigel farage um particularly but um he he comes over as you know fairly kind of level-headed um some have said a little dull but i i think generally quite gentlemanly yeah uh and um, you know, up for a game, not hysterical. There's been a few contestants in there who've gone completely over the top with him uh, and with each other. And um, I, I think this has probably been quite a good uh, uh, a good PR stunt for for him. Uh, you know, he's he's at the sort of camel's penises on <laughs> on the post and sort of said, oh, you know. That's a bit awful, really. Yeah. Yes, I'll have a glass of water. You're very British, in, in, yeah. You know, yeah. I can, I, 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 but I can um, there was a whole camera shot of him showering. You know, you saw his backside, mm, and yeah. then um, I think there was a TV presenter the following day on one of these morning shows who made laughable comments about this, and then there was a subsequent discussion of, oh, well, you know, if it had been Nigella Farage, would we have been making, um, you know, body comments on uh, on him? But I, I think it's probably paid off at the moment for for him in a way that it didn't with so much with Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock, you know, came over as a bit of a vain prat, really, <laughs> uh, in, in this um yeah, you sort yeah. of you could sort of forgive Farage for going on it, can't you? It's a funny thing yeah. like with with Hancock. You just think, oh, it's just a cynical PR exercise. And with Farage, you think, well, no, he's got to get his message out to the people. So you know, he's got to reach the youth culture. So uh, you know, why shouldn't yeah. he do it? But that's quite it's quite a good way into talking about a number of our a number of our stories really today are about multiculturalism, aren't they? I mean, we've got this funny story about this this ridiculous airport multi faith uh, cabin, which is in Bristol. But I mean, just as a kind of news sort of news roundup i thought it'd be worth just mentioning some of the stuff that's been happening this week so there was this big march so obviously there have been these marches uh these anti-israel you know pro-palestine marches uh in london for weeks and weeks now with thousands i don't know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people attending them uh lots of not very nice things being said in those marches there's been this week a march against anti-semitism which apparently was very well attended as well about 110,000 people um Tommy Robinson was arrested, pepper sprayed during the uh, March Against Anti-Semitism for um, breaching his parole audience, uh, parole, um, uh, what's what's the word I'm thinking of, Um, the conditions of his parole. Um, And so that that all happened this week. Uh, We also had uh, Rishi Sunak 
boasting essentially about how easy it was to to emigrate into this country at a time when immigration is probably the number one issue for the Tories in terms of the upcoming general election. I was looking at the statistics when when Johnson bequeathed um, the PM spot to um, Sunak, immigration was running at 500,000 net migration in the UK was running at um, uh, 500,000. The, the latest statistics are now that it's running at 750,000 people per year. So three quarters of a million people net per year increasing in this country. So that's, you know, uh, taking into account people who leave as well. So it's an enormous amount of, of immigration. It's as high, yeah, I think, well, I mean, as high as it's ever been. Plymouth nearby here is what, a quarter of a million. So that's three Plymouths. Yeah, uh, it's it's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. yeah it's it's like it's like a uh, quarter of a million is probably higher than the co- the population of Winchester. Um, so it's it, the amount of people who are coming in. Uh, also, I've been I've been thinking about but the, the bit about this recently. I think it's in two thousand twenty five that um, the the birth rate in this country is going to be. I mean, if trends continues, the birth rate in this country is going to be lower than the the death rate, which will essentially mean that our indigenous population is declining. So if you think about like the long range, the long term sort of future of this country is really that the you know, white British um, population will become a minority. It's a statistical in- inevitability. And it, one assumes that the majority of these migrants uh, who are coming in are Muslims, then Islam will become the dominant religion. Now, this is not, you know, these are not racist comments. This is just I'm just reporting the statistics Like that is just what's going to happen. Um if this yeah, goes I, on. I had an imam years ago when I was a university chaplain who who boasted it. Yeah. yeah in fact, exactly. in fact, he he sort of lambasted me and said, "Come on, Christians, what are you doing? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what wake up and yeah. uh, you know, why, why aren't you having big families? What what's well, what's part- wrong with your culture? Is it because we're going to become the main culture at the end of the at the end of the century? You know, and that that was a friendly conversation. He was. Yeah. What can you say when someone says that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, partly the answer is political, isn't it? I mean, obviously, it's a religious problem as well. But partly the problem is political because the politics of this country don't encourage people to get married and and have families. You know, child tax credit stops after you have two children, for example. So essentially penalised for having more than two children. Whereas in some countries, I'm sure I've said this before in the podcast, like in Hungary, Um, you know their family first policies where i think it's if you have four children you don't pay any income tax it's some it's something like that you just don't i mean that's that's, that's fantastic isn't it you compare that to say jeremy hunt's speech last year when he was harping on about we want to get mothers back to work as soon as possible um and seeing essentially parents as you know economic work units who while they're at home are um uh are not contributing to society or to the economy. Yeah. I mean, you know, a supposed conservative government. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, it, it does make you wonder, like, what's actually going on, doesn't it? Uh, mm. uh, the most generous interpretation is it's a kind of short termism, I think, where basically it will look good for the the government if the economy is doing well if inflation is not is not rising and 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 you know and so on and business you know businesses are doing well i don't don't, don't know what it is the dark dark side of this which the social justice warriors uh choose to ignore because often it's the people coming in and cleaning their houses and doing the you know washing their cars is that uh, a lot of people coming in on immigration end up with uh, low-end low-paid jobs uh, 
And, um, uh, well, that's very convenient, isn't it? Uh, but that has all sorts of ripple of, of effects. You know? and, and likewise, if, if most of the immigration is adults coming in, well, you know, the infrastructure of the country can't necessarily cope. You know, it, it's not as if it's family units coming in where uh, the country has a, a, a spread of, of resources for different age groups. You know, mm. the, this is um, generally a mass of people, I suspect, mostly the same age. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and that, that's going to have impact in all sorts of uh, in all sorts of ways, and um, uh, um, yeah. but but for the metropolitan elite types, of course, you know, well, uh, that there are short-term financial gains to this. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's kind of what I was saying. Is that's all they're thinking about, isn't it? They're thinking about the. the I suppose this is what you get when you have you have unprincipled politicians, careerist politicians. All they care about is themselves and their own their own career, and they're not really thinking about well, you know, in in seventy five years time, the the country is going to be predominantly Muslim. Is that really what we want? You know, if we carry on, if we carry on with seven hundred and fifty thousand net migration, it's not it's not even going to take very long before this. You know, the the country is completely trans. Formed. I mean, that's a year, seven hundred and fifty a year. That's over four years. That's three million. It's mm. you know, it's enormous the amount of, of people who are coming here. So they're just not they're just not thinking in those terms. But I, I find it astonishing, just on a kind of um, practical level, because this is this is going to kill the Tories at the next election. You know, this has been going on. How long have they been in? Thirteen years. It's going to kill them because it's the core of their voters. They're alienating. So on the um, on the Telegraph, there's this article called uh, Sunak will never recover from this immigration betrayal, making this point. And basically, this guy is saying everyone's going to abandon the Tories for this and they're going to vote for Reform UK. And if you look at the 1,378 comments underneath, everyone's basically saying, yeah, that's exactly right. I've always voted Tory and now I'm not going to anymore. They're dead to me and have been since 2020. I will never vote for a mainstream party again, for they are all just the fingers of a hand. I just, you know, literally just pluck that one out at random without planning. Mm. It's just it's just the same thing. People are so sick of it and they're actually willing to take the hit of a Keir Starmer government just so that you can get these these people out. Um, it's quite astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. No. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I... I think different ethnic groups coming in have clearly different approaches to integration. Mm. Yeah, uh, my grandmother was from Belgium, so she adopted me. So I can say I'm the son of an immigrant in one respect. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I saw xenophobia and things at times, but she felt very British. Uh, and you know she'd come from a a, a Catholic Christian um, uh, sense of things. Yeah, you know she she felt that we were all European, uh, that that we were part of this West, and this was something to to cherish. Yeah, and you can see that um, di different groups coming in. Some get that, and some don't. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's. It's when I think, particularly in the the Islamic version of this, there is a very antagonistic um, element to this, which you know is uh, 
has been around for several generations, which sees that the world is against them and becomes, you know, um, very antagonistic, you know, to um, our our values and our liberties. And, um, you know, it's... Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's right, Daniel. It's 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 a fundamentally religious thing. It's one of it's one of the oh. areas in which the many many areas in which the kind of secular liberal paradigm makes lets us down by you know with this notion that you know religion is a sort of essentially private and personal matter. Mm. I mean, it's really not. You know, it, it, yeah. it affects absolutely everything. So you get a Catholic, a Belgian Catholic coming to this country. They're obviously going to integrate far more easily than if you get a you know a Muslim from Saudi Arabia. It's just it's 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 just obviously going to be the case. Um, so religion is absolutely fundamental to every religion is fundamental to everything, isn't it? You just look at everything that's going on, everything in the news. It's all to do with religion. You know, the march against anti-Semitism, the marches against Israel. It's all it's fundamentally religions at the heart of all of this. So you can't just say, well, you know, religion's a private matter. It would be ideal if religion was kept over there in the private sphere, in the home and uh, and in the church, maybe or the synagogue or whatever. Uh, and, and the public sphere can just be uh, a secular, neutral political sphere. It's a total fantasy. And all you need to do is just open your eyes to, to it. But yeah, and, and to be, you know, to be um, uh, honest, to the the, the Islam, most, from what I'm understanding, most Islamic visions of, of this are not for a division between the secular and the sacred. Yeah, yeah. Um, rather the opposite, actually. That the uh, the overall, you know, vision is of um, is of the two being one. Yeah, well, well, the, the, indeed, the separation between religion and politics is a Western idea. You know, it's a secular, early modern Western idea. Like, let's let's hive off religion, and we'll say that that's that's uh, that's private, and let's have politics divorced from religion and say that that's public. Mm-hmm. The whole notion, in that sense, the whole even the concept of religion is a Western idea. Mm-hmm. Like, really, those but, like you know, it, Islam doesn't think of itself that, that, as a religion as such. Do you think wokeism in that way is a break with that tradition because it has a religiosity which seeks to dominate the secular and the sacred, you know, the whole, the private and the public? And perhaps this explains um, that that hilarious viral video I posted to you last night. Oh, yeah. Um, Wokies who are converting yeah. to Islam, that in a sense this was the... Uh, th- th- this kind of uh, addressed that um, hyper-revolutionary spirit of, of wanting a world where the public and the private fuse into one thing. You know, maybe that's well, maybe that's why that is. You know, or, that, or, or, or you could the, say the Sinead O'Connor phenomenon, which yeah. seems so unlikely, and yet there it is. Yeah, well, or you could say, I mean, I'm not sure this contradicts what you said. It might just be completely congruent with it. Is that you can't, you just can't get rid of religion. You can't get rid of religious impulses and religious expression. So even if you say, well, we're going to just have secularism and no Christianity and no Islam, you'll still have religion. It would just, it would just look, it would just look different. You'll get a secular form of religion. So there'll be the same kind of thing. There'll be a sort of religiosity, a fanaticism, maybe, and then there'll also be things like rituals and things like that, and interest in in esoteric things, like you know, we've just been talking about with the AI thing. I mean, that's religious, isn't it? Like people chant, chanting together and saying, "Feel the AGI," or or just 
just to yeah. take another example that pops into my mind, our friend Bernard Randall, when he was subject, you know, when he was a chaplain, subjected to the to the um the what were they called the the that down with heteronormativity. Yeah, the... there was a LGBT oh. group that came in and they and they made them all the staff at the school chant, you know, down with heteronormativity and all this kind of stuff. And indeed, like the climate apocalypse thing is a is a religious cult you know i mean i don't really you know maybe that's a pejorative way of putting it but it's a religious phenomenon it's a religious sensibility it wants to save the world from the apocalypse you know and they have like greta thunberg is a prophetess isn't she she's like a child savant prophet you know prophetess. so so going back to our scripture is is what we're seeing then a uh in the the spirit of the antichrist uh is that totality that merging of the the private and the public, where you know the uh, where where this is is completely taken over with a new religiosity, um, yeah, in, in a way that maybe you know ten fifteen years ago we'd have if you were into into um, political correctness or if you were into flying saucers, that was your private thing. Yeah, you know, you, you keep that at home, but now it's meant to, um, uh, you know, bleed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I think that's right. I think that's one of the one of the aspects of the the Antichrist is that the Antichrist will be the head of a secular religion. You know, I think that's 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 yeah. part that's part of the smokescreen, isn't it? It's saying, well, this isn't a religion. This is just this is just politics. So even if you're religious, you can park your religion and you can be part of this rather than recognizing it for what it is which is a competing religious sensibility mm-hmm. and i think that that's something we've you know we've talked about a lot on this show with many of these things they're fundamentally kind of religious in nature whether that's you know the climate alarmism of apocalypse a narrative the covid thing was very very religious the way that that was that was framed and and enacted uh, you know the lgbt thing is you know it's a it's a it's 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 chock full of religious sensibilities the transgender mm. ideology but daniel should we listen let's listen to this shall we because i've got to update yeah, I, 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 I think it i think it's fascinating and i don't know how seriously to take it but it's fascinating so this is uh ollie london has tweeted this it says the latest tiktok trend for influencers and the lgbtqi plus community converting to islam and reading the quran interesting okay let's give it a listen here we go. Reading Quran, making- I just started reading the Quran. So I've been reading the Quran and I have a Salam. Good morning. I- and this is why so many people are starting to read the Quran. So I ordered a Quran and I just wanted to show you how I have Okay, so I'm an ex-Christian reading the Quran. Today I'm gonna go through fighting. Fighting war. I started reading the Quran. Um this is the on the Quran and Ron Joseph or So I have started already tonight a little bit. It is my first time reading the Quran. I thought I would share my thoughts on the first This sentence from the Quran just answered a question I Okay guys, so I got the Quran. Um I got like a version that I can So I'm an atheist who recently got a copy of the clear Quran to start reading. I was really I just started reading the Quran and I am so excited about it. Just to give some context here i mean that's the end of the video but just to give some context these people i mean i don't know where they all are but many of them are clearly transgender people mm. um who are reading the quran so i, I was trying to do some research into this on the back of that last night and, and perhaps somebody who's more familiar with uh, 
you know, the Islamic traditions can help us out here. But could it be that um, Islam is more favourable to transgenderism than homosexuality? Um, in that that's a more definitive choice. You know, you're, you're trying to become essentially male or female. You're in a transition rather than you're trying to have a relationship with the same sex and that there's more favour towards that. Mm. Um, and so... I would I would guess so, no. <laughs> you know how the, 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 there's a whole thing in the LGBT thing that the T is, is it for some quite contentious. Yeah. You know, the T has become the top of the hierarchy. Right. Okay. Um, uh, and and so if that's the if that's the kind of case, could it be that they find um, uh, that both um, it, their encounters with uh, you know the, the Islam, the Muslim world, and the Quran and and likewise with the trans people, that there there can be a sort of interfacing here that we haven't seen before. I know that's a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, I pushing, uh, I'm just trying to kind. Of, I'm just trying to get my head round this. Is this? I mean, surely you can't be naive to think that this is a. This is this is. This is a fundamentally morally conservative, you know, sexually conservative yeah. religion. Um, in in most of its incarnations, yeah. Um, yeah. Am I, I am I getting am I missing something here? I, I think it's kind of fascinating in one respect if this becomes a a pattern in it. Um, yeah. uh, and you know, could it also be that? You know, and I wondered this with Sinead O'Connor that essentially, if you go. The, the 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 higher you go up the the, the ladder of, of oppression in the in the LGBT uh, discourse that that the actually the, the more sexless it becomes, you know, and uh, in the end your final being is, is somebody who it doesn't have much interaction with anybody else. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we become a sort of a um, uh, androgynous a, being. Andro yeah. Androgynous being is the sort of one of the conclusions, isn't it? And uh, yeah, of, well, I think with these things, I, we, I don't know. We can often try and sort of um, uh, we can often assume. I think that there is a sort of there is a sort of ironclad logic that would lead from one thing to another. Mm. But I mean, it could just be that this is just a, uh, a sort of expression of confused despair and the need for some kind of meaning uh, that, that, that is, is uh, more appealing than the ideology that they've already taken hold of. But I imagine my sort of thought about it is it's like when you get these people with these placards saying queers for Palestine and things like that, it's like, um the 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 lgbt thing is about casting off oppression isn't it it's about being liberated from oppressive structures and islam is seen in, in by some people you know some sort of progressive types in this country as a sort of you know as a minority religion that is oppressed by 
by the West, by Christianity, by white people. And therefore, they identify with Muslims as sort of fellow strugglers against the uh, against the bondage of, you know, white colonial Christian oppression. And I wonder whether that actually is. Yeah. Is the and isn't it interesting how this has flipped as well? In that you know, if you went back a few generations ago, uh, it, Islam had a sort of certain romance within the West. You know, you got T. Yeah. Lawrence. Uh, people, people said that Churchill was 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 greatly enamoured oh, really? by Islamic texts and spirituality and what have you. Um, and it was something that it was something of the right, you know, it was this this sense that there were these that, that there were these uh, uh, people living in the Middle East who had this noble romantic tradition. You know, they were hardened and de- uh, culturally conservative and that, yeah, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. You know, and um, you know, Israel was in a sense the darling of the left. It was the you know the progressive new country where people could um, li- live out let their lives, say for instance, you know, living in in kibbutz communions uh, and and so on and so on. Um, uh, and now it's flipped the other way around, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing, isn't it, how these things change. <laughs> It's yeah. it's hard it's hard to say really. What do you so just to go back to the new stuff, just so we talk about it a little bit, what do you make of all this stuff? You know, you've got all these marches and counter marches in, in London and um it obviously set against the backdrop of uh, we've had this week a kind of ceasefire of um of sorts between Israel and Gaza while they've tried to negotiate hostage swaps and um some hostages have been released by Hamas. Um there's all kinds of, you know, uh, just just to be sort of uh, complete, well, reasonably complete on this. There's all sorts of like international ramifications to all of this. There are some American hostages um, who apparently have more value to Hamas mm-hmm. than others because obviously America is, uh, you know, it's more significant to have control over over America than over other countries that might be concerned by by hostages. I mean, any any thoughts about any of this stuff, like in terms of the marches, you know, the march against anti-Semitism, you know, the continued marches. Mm-hmm. Uh, against Israel and stuff like that. I mean, have you been following this? Any sort of thoughts about this, Daniel? Yeah, as as much as I can. I think it's the whole thing is so painful, isn't it? To 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 behold. And there's a part of me that thinks, you know, we're, we're coming into Advent and Christmas. How how um, I want to be invested, but I also got to. I don't want to end up in despair, really, because yeah. yeah. and I suppose my despair is one of. Uh, anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head um, in in new uh, ways. Uh, I think any proper reading of history will show that anti-Semitism has been with us in a very um, pernicious and very pernicious ways for millennia, mm. uh, and it's. It's not something we can just airbrush out uh, or imagine will go away. It 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 touches a really raw nerve, um, and I suppose my concern is that you know, particularly in the mainstream media, there is a sense to dismiss it really and say, "Oh no, you know, our, our real complaint is with Israel, not with Jewish people." Um, but it it never. The mathematics of that don't add up when you read the news and you see the comments and that. 
Um, because we wouldn't be doing this, I think. We wouldn't be speaking about these people if they were, if it was another culture, if it was another religion. And mm. um, uh, 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 my, my Belgian grandmother grew up during the Second World War and saw Jews being put into uh, into lorries uh, and saw that, you know, some people put their head down, other people quietly smiled, mm. thought, well, maybe they deserved it, you know. Um, you know, envy goes a long way. Mm. Uh, and um, I, I think behind a lot of the the danger is that behind the, a lot of the free Palestine stuff uh, is a profound envy of the Jewish people. Um, uh, and again, I'm just so surprised that uh, our religious leaders aren't really talking into into that because that that is a very dark tumor really within the body of uh of western culture um yeah. um a hatred for people being successful is 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 not a good place for us to is not a good place for us to be in you know and one that seems unimaginable you know a, a decade or or two ago and um uh and frankly um you know, bizarre when you think of all the other things in the world that we could be going out and marching for if we were progressives. You know, where are the marches for the Uyghurs? Mm. Where, where's the half a million people marching up and down, past it, you know, r rattling the rails at the Chinese embassy yeah. for them? Yeah. Because uh, it strikes me that, quite frankly, um, uh, look, uh, our culture doesn't really give a damn, uh, and we turn a blind eye to the fact that these people are probably making the cheap goods that that we are wearing and buying in, you know, yeah, uh, in our stores and what have you. Um, you know, it's convenience. It's a selective outrage, isn't it? And, it and as as, as you say, it does it does make one wonder. There must be there must be at least some anti-Semitism going on here when you see some of the placards that are that are being uh, paraded around. I suppose just to give the other side of it, um, though, you know, some others would say, well, you know, Israel are you know conducting kind of indiscriminate campaigns against you know what's going on in, or against people in gaza they're killing civilians they're creating like a hell on earth in in gaza i mean i think uh, i think i did the idea that israel is committing genocide in gaza is ridiculous and i th I just think that's not even worth like like that's not worth putting forward as a serious proposition but the, the the more serious the more serious sort of critique i suppose is that israel is being indiscriminate in its in its prosecution of, yeah. of hamas in 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 gaza and causing you know civilian casualties yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you and and, and the other thing, Daniel, just, just to say that they they're falling into a trap, yeah, internationally. Well, where... and can I just say just one other thing as well? Because I think it's important to say this. Because I'm, in, I like you, I'm inclined to be on Israel's side. But the other thing that people say is that Israel weaponizes the Holocaust in order to justify anything they want to do. And I think that is a that is a reasonable criticism, you know. Is is and, and as I say, this is coming from me, like being inclined to be very pro-Israel, and obviously I I find it outrageous, just you know, like from the pits of hell, what happened on on October the seventh, you know, no no question at all, like full stop. 
but the, the the sort of subsequent side to all of this is um is that one can use atrocities which have been which have been um have been inflicted on you in order then to justify other atrocities or other injustices at least and then that's not good either yeah so it's it's tricky isn't it because as soon as you even articulate these things it sort of lands you in one or the other camp and it's hard to sort of I mean, have a balance I isn't mean, it? here's a question for the for for that side of the argument is what is freedom towards what is freedom to um when was the last time there was an election in gaza when was the last time there was an election in the you know the west bank and the palestine um uh, how easy is it to get rid of your elected officials remember that tony ben maxim about democracy and um uh yeah you know who are the, who are they that have the the levers of power and how can i get rid of them uh and um i i think the answer there is quite chilling like it is in a lot of the middle east with enormous difficulty yeah yeah where, but you know israel has its faults and i'm i'm not here some i'm not some mega fan of all the things that they've done far 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 from it actually um uh, in some places and sometimes some of the, the policies of that government have been appalling and unimaginative and uncharitable but you can at least not vote for them if you're an israeli citizen which includes being an one you know an arab israeli citizen mm. uh i'm not sure on the other side you can get you can get rid of them yeah yeah i'm not sure no. there's this great shangular democracy um uh, from from um the human rights records of um, the people running gaza i, I think you, you'd have an easier time in afghanistan under the taliban to be honest yeah i agree and and the the other thing about it as well i say to that to sort of counter that is that um you know it, it hamas uh, exploit their population by essentially using civilians as as human shields and so, you know, I'm not saying that means that Israel can do whatever they want, but assuming that is true and all of the empirical evidence seems to point in that direction, uh, the people of Gaza are in a terrible situ- situation either way, aren't they? They're either they're either yeah. being ruled by these fanatics or they're in the middle of a war zone in which their own government are using them yeah. as as human shields. So they're, 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 you know, one one has to be incredibly sympathetic and, yeah. And, and sorry for those people you know nobody's saying that's that those people don't matter uh, no. but, but arguably unless israel does remove hamas they're they're going to be in this terrible situation permanently it's te- as you say it's a really hard it's a terrible situa- situation yeah. what what do what do either of us really know about middle east politics well yeah. all we can say in the end as christians is we have to fall back to that middle eastern book the scripture and say you know this is our expertise and you know we believe in the end that christ is the christ is the solution um and yeah um, and we don't say i don't say that glibly yeah uh, because w- when you look at all the impasses in, in that region i uh, i cannot but think of anything else really long term but christ is the solution yeah yeah yeah, I mentioned I mentioned on here a while ago uh, that Father Elijah book to, to you, didn't I? That in that mm. book, that's the Antichrist specifically 
um, addresses the, it's actually in the sequel, which is called Elijah in Jerusalem, specifically addresses the Israel-Palestine issue. And that's that scene as, you know, that's his kind of a crowning achievement as the kind of president of, of the, the entire world. You know, I'm going to bring peace to the Middle East. Uh, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? I wonder whether there's something to that. But uh, yeah. Daniel, we should probably just move on. Just a couple of sort of smaller stories, which we haven't quite addressed yet. And then maybe a question the Rev. So what I've already mentioned is um, uh, the Bristol Airport has defended its multi-faith cabin, which is in a car park, uh, which is uh, licen- likened to a bus shelter. And you'll have to look up a picture if you want to see it. But it's it's quite it's quite remarkable. The airport issued a four paragraph statement explaining its decision after the unveiling of the new car park facility was mocked by social media over its appearance. A photograph of the structure was posted on Twitter stating it would provide a quote private space to reflect and pray whilst waiting to collect friends and family. I think it looks more like a kind of suicide booth personally. Um on one Twitter user asked, has the bus shelter been repurposed? While another queried, this is a parody. Others highlighted its likeness to a smoking shelter posting, you've just stuck a sticker on the smoking area. Another tweeted, pilgrims of all faiths will be coming from all over the globe to worship in this ornate wonder. Uh, it's been uh, mocked um, mercilessly. There was actually a very interesting article on Spiked, which I, I couldn't really tell whether it was, so it wasn't Spiked, it was um, the critic. I couldn't tell whether it was serious or not. It was trying to make a sort of serious religious case for the for the for the um, this multi faith quiet area. Oh but I mean, it's, it is it is shocking. It's like the this is where the sort of lowest common denominator multiculturalism, multi faith secularism really leads to this just soulless uh, soulless piece of. Um, oh, I pity non- anyone has to try and use that. I mean. Uh, it doesn't even look like it has a carpet or anything. It just looks like it's been stuck on the top of a of a tarmac. And it doesn't help that the picture was obviously taken on a really grey autumn day where it's been raining and the, the floor looks wet. And I mean, it's just it's just shocking, isn't it? I mean, what do you think, Daniel? <laughs> what do they think uh, oh, it is it is uh, grim. I mean. And bland on a on a whole new level, isn't it? I mean, if if you were um, a devout Muslim using that in the you know particularly in the winter months for um, one of the five prayers, I mean, goodness, you, you'd be you'd you'd be chilled to the bone. I'd have thought. Uh, I mean, you, you couldn't you couldn't use that, for instance. Uh, I mean, there's lots of been spoofs, haven't there, about oh, I'm going to go and say high mass in it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, what it's the most uninviting place on the planet. I'd have thought. Uh, I mean, what what were they? What sort of group think got them to that point where they thought that was that was in any way humane or acceptable for any faith group would would, would want to, to to even use that? I mean, it doesn't even look. It doesn't look private. It doesn't look cozy. It doesn't look warm. It, um, it looks uninviting. It's got no aesthetic appeal. Um, yeah. Uh, good, goodness gracious. Uh, I, before before this current appointment, I was a university chaplain in in Aberdeen, who had a bit of experience of these um, prayer rooms and that. And I know it can, because of sensitivities, it can be very easy to fall into the. Um, into into making a space that that um says nothing and pleases no one yeah yeah uh, definitely and and this is um 
you know, this is a prime example. I mean, you know, it, I think if you typed in um, OpenAI's DALI and said, paint me a picture of the worst religious space imaginable, mm. this, this would be it. It, it. You know, it's just yeah, bizarre. It's weird, isn't it? And a number of people have have said that this isn't actually a multi-faith area at all. This is a Muslim prayer space because Muslims need to be need to pray five times a day, so they they need these places everywhere. So that's just another it's another angle to it as well. It's hard, as you say, Daniel. It's hardly a space which is um, in any way sort of usable for Christians. I mean, what would you what would you do in there? And even even the picture on the outside is of a man. Who looks like he's reciting Muslim prayers because he's praying and he's he's sorry he's kneeling and his gesture is a very it looks very much like a like a Muslim kind of silhouette. So there's there's that aspect to it as well. But yeah, there is something there, isn't it? That this is this is the kind of the sort of secular state hollowing out religion. Was, I mean, it kind of relates to what I was saying earlier that the kind of notion of religion is a kind of made up concept when you try and sort of crystallize what religion actually is. It's just nothing. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything because it doesn't have, you know, the 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 supposed kind of religions of the world have actually very little in common with each other. You know, that you might say, well, you know, they all believe in God, but you know, the conceptions of God are in many ways quite different. And and certainly aesthetically, they're they've got completely different aesthetics. So what and different rituals and all that kind of stuff. So when you actually bring wonder, them together, are they gonna have some sort of consecration blessing or you know, well cutting exactly of, cutting of ribbons yeah. to openness? Um that, that would be um a photo shoot, wouldn't it? Yeah, it raises all sorts of interesting questions. But uh, well, there we go. I thought it was interesting. The other, the other thing we just wanted to talk about just briefly is the. Um, uh, hey, a... when, they, when they chuck us out, we'll have somewhere to go. You see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we 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 noticed that Washington National Cathedral is actually charging people to attend their services, which is quite amazing. So this is an Episcopal. It is an Episcopal cathedral, isn't it? It's not a Roman Catholic cathedral. So it's an no. Episcopal cathedral. So the Anglicans in America, and you can actually click through. So I just did it. Family Christmas service Saturday, twenty third of December, eleven a.m. Uh, two tickets, seven uh, seven dollars each. And I did actually check that this goes for their Eucharistic services as well. It's not just for kind of their carol services or whatever it might be. It's it's quite literally. So Christmas Eve festival, Holy Eucharist, uh, two tickets, please. Uh, please wait. This will may take a few moments. And then it comes up again, $7. So you actually have to pay to go to these services. Yeah, Extraordinary, isn't it? Um, here's some thoughts on that. Firstly, um, if this was done, say, in the Roman Catholic Church, as far as I understand, under its canons on simony, um, to ticket the mass, pay ticket yeah. the mass would be an act of simony, which would, which would, um, engender uh, an automatic excommunication on the priest. And so, simony meaning the selling of sacraments Sac- or ecclesiastical offices, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So there, there would be an automatic penalty for attempting this. Um, the other thing that's that's that struck me is that yeah, th- this is the, the the mother church of the American Episcopal setup um, tech, the Episcopal Church. Yeah. Uh, which. Um, you know, 
ticks all the boxes in terms of progressivism. Um, and we are told that if uh, the more that we become like tech, the more that we will um, you know, be appealing to the world, that um, those who have felt disenfranchised and alienated supposedly from the, the Christian faith are hurt, um, marginalized, misaligned, will come flooding back. Yeah, so that just to be clear to people listening, so that's what's being said to the C of E by the yeah, progressive. We must become like tech. You know, tech are ahead of the curve. Yeah, and tech is the Episcopal Church, just in case you So tech so, is ahead of the curve. This yeah. is what we have to do. Tech um, doesn't have any of this discrimination. You know, it's a totally all-inclusive package. Uh, and here it is. Uh, and yet they are so financially hit. And uh, there are people on Anglican Twitter who are saying, oh, they're doing this because they have to raise money. They're struggling as a as a, as a congregation. Uh, so they're charging for um, for people to come to Holy Communion during, during Christmas, seven bucks entry fee. Uh, and yet, you know, this should be on paper. Hang on a minute. I thought this would be the church that would be so full. Mm. Everyone would be coming to it because this this is the idealized Christianity. Mm. This is it as it should be at its zenith. And yet, oh dear, um, you know, it, it's empty pews. People aren't turning. People aren't um, investing in, in this. Um, you know, we offered you everything, and yet you didn't. You didn't come, and so we're going to have to charge seven pounds, bit seven dollars, because. Um, actually the whole edifice is struggling mm. so you know that doesn't kind of bode well does it really you know no. maybe we don't want to be on this curve yeah uh yeah. and um yeah i just find the whole thing crass and awful i think you know particularly the eucharist uh, which is you know this uh it, the, the sign and symbol the presence of christ um uh, and the worship par excellence, which should be open to all. Um, I, don't, I don't mean you know anyone can come up and have holy communion. I mean that people should be able to. Anybody should be able to attend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the best of what we have to offer, irrespective of what's in their bank account. Now, Jamie, if you look further on to their website, Luke, I'm going to do a shout out here to Luke Appleby. Yeah, uh, my friend in the diocese who did some digging on this. If you want to get baptized in in this church, you you have to have all sorts of connections. Uh, one of which can be that you are a regular giver, financial giver to oh, the cathedral. I did see that. It was like a kind yeah. of checklist of things you needed to do if you yeah. want to get baptized, and you had to make a certain sort of pledge, yeah. didn't you? Uh, so you can buy your way into baptism. Yeah, ironic, isn't it? On the front page of the website, it says Washington National Cathedral, a house of prayer for all people. But uh, obviously, only certain bucks. types of yeah, certain types of people with a certain amount of money in their wallets. So, I mean, that, I mean that's that... been one of the problems with tech is that you know it has been seen over the years as the church of the the privileged, of the elites, of the upper middle classes. Um, uh, that that it's. Uh, it's kind of more expatriate than expat than the British, you know. That it, yeah. Uh, 
that it's for a certain type of person uh, and who likes a certain type of thing uh, and that um, if you're just Joe Bloggs walking in, this might not be the church. This might not be the church for you, that it's very clubby. I- yeah. It's it's funny, isn't it? It's a hard one to actually sort of understand because you would have thought from a left progressive perspective, this would be seen as the kind of ult- uh, sort of uh, ultimate victory of the uh, the free market capitalist ideology where everything has to have some kind of financial value placed upon it. Everything has to be sellable, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, human, mm. human, human flesh or, or sacraments, you know, everything, everything has a price, everything could be sold. And you would think that there would be something about the kind of left, or maybe it's not progressive left. Maybe mm. that's more of a kind of traditional left-wing critique of capitalism. I suppose it is, isn't it? It's more kind of a traditional Marxist critique, which would say that like everything has to be sort of uh, codified e- economically and 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 sellable, and therefore we can, you know, everything has to be sort of drawn into this market but, logic. So, have you noticed, Jamie, that in uh, in the churches there's often a pattern when it comes to this um that where finance and money is uh the kind of key strategic value that it's more more often than not it it's it's within the sort of progressive circles it's within the it's within the cathedral cultures of the churches where you know uh Any way to any way to make a buck? Yeah, it seems to be the um, the, the the sort of trap line, and um, uh, I, I find increasingly those of us who are more traditional leaning tend to be the more less are fair about all this stuff. Um, and um, you know, I, I've noticed clergy from a. a a more liberal progressive bent are are often the most exacting on on this sort of stuff you know and and put them put all sorts of hoops in front of people or policies um uh, you know financial constraints um and and so on and so on you know make it incredibly difficult for folks say to get married in church or baptized in church uh and um uh, and it's us who who are the more relaxed about you know uh, uh, about this. And um, well, I mean, is it? Could you say that it's because people who are more orthodox actually believe that these things have a sort of spiritual meaning, which is the which is overwhelmingly the primary point of them. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you sort of dial down that or diminish that, maybe it becomes easier to start thinking about them in different ways. Like, well, maybe we could sell this, you know, maybe oh. we can make some money out of it. I don't know, I'm just mm-hmm. speculating there. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, it's, it's a sacramental understanding of the sacraments. Uh, for, for instance, I, I, I generally want to... to um, understand that people can grow saying sacraments so i'm not going to make it uh, i'm i'm not going to try and put for instance a couple coming to get married who are really poor mm. uh, i want to support them as much as possible so they're not crippled by the church of england's fees um because i believe that in the sacrament 
they they can grow in the spirit through this. Mm. But if the first message they hear is about, you know, this is the Church of England's fees, and do you understand it? And by the way, we want a deposit. Yeah. Might what, does that, the... what message yeah. does that give about the about the supernatural effects of, of that? You know, in most people's minds, what the, the dominant story that they'll come away from those sort of interviews is uh, is the vicar wants money. Yeah. Or uh, the cathedral uh, dean wants money. You know, this yeah. isn't I think it's just been changed, isn't it? Hasn't canon law just been changed so that you can you can waive the wedding fees now or um, yes. imagining that. Well. Yeah, I think that's a good move. Uh well listen, Daniel, we're sort of running out of time here, so we're gonna move on now and we're gonna do a bit of this, which we haven't done for a while actually. So here we go. <laughs> Daniel, it's time for a question, the Rev, now. Uh, we've been holding this one over for a couple of weeks, actually, uh, but I thought we'd do it anyway, uh, even though it's kind of addressed to Tom, uh, because we haven't done it and uh, we keep missing it. So uh, here we go. This is a an email from Gareth. He says, just listening to the current pod, that's probably about three weeks old uh, now, Tom says in the bit about Just Stop Oil at about one hour, four minutes in, the Bible says that man was put on earth for stewardship. This is wrong in capital letters. And the reason why is important. It's quite clear from the original texts, as some proper Bible translating boffin from Cambridge explained to our local group some years ago. And from most translations that mankind has the earth as dominion, not stewardship. Mm. The difference is that dominion means that we were given creation and we have absolute right to treat creation as we will. It is entirely down to us whether we do good or evil. Stewardship means that we do not have that choice. We must only do what the owner of creation would allow us. It deprives us of agency. It is the difference between, e.g., allowing your children to use your own car and giving them as a free gift a car of their own. This error in meaning is, I know, popular and widespread, but it is nevertheless an error. We should, of our own free choice, husband the creation that the Lord gave to the best. If we do not do that, uh, sorry, if we do not then that is because of our own foolishness and fault, but it's our mess and our responsibility. The concept of stewardship seems to be used, possibly this is the intent for political ends, that we must comply with whatever narrative the interpretation of stewardship requires. Not good. Keep up the good work and God bless. So there you go. There you go, Daniel. What, what's your take on, on that? Any thoughts? Um, I, I agree with it in part. That yeah. it, it is absolutely clear um that the Hebrew word, which I've just forgotten, it is not stewardship. It's not tending or gardening the earth. Yeah. It, it is a very strong word, and it's used elsewhere in the scriptures. Uh, clearly, in that in that sense, that um, uh, where kings have dominion over their subjects. Uh, God having dominion over us, us having dominion over the earth. Uh, it, it is not this fluffy-wuffy interpretation. I think that is clear, um, and I think it is clear in the, the first couple of chapters of Genesis uh, for the reason that, you know, a slaved and enslaved people are being given that psychological liberation that mm. they... Um, are fundamentally made in the image of God uh, and um, they are not to, you know, in Egypt, consider um, temples to, you know, cats and goats 
as having any dominion over them. They are the high point of creation. Yeah. Uh, they are the zenith, the top of the hierarchy of what God has made, uh, even unto the angels. And so there's this high anthropology and the word dominion is supposed to give, you know, it's it's supposed to have punch. Yeah. And so for us, watering it down doesn't give that. I don't think that necessarily follows that we can go balmy with every, you know, with the, um, with the natural environment and that we can't conserve what we are given uh, and in a sense, um, you know, use it appropriately. I don't think it's a license to go nuts. And in fact, it would seem from particularly that, you know, the, the Christian tradition, um, I'm a great admirer of St. Francis, that a simple life, you know, has, uh, we can find God in a simple life, maybe more than in a, you know, a complex life where we have um, all sorts of material benefits. And I I says what I'm trying to walk away from here is, um, is a prosperity gospel interpretation of dominion, which is, you know, God definitely wants me to drive um, a, a stretch limo yeah, and, I, I, and I, drop I, litter willy-nilly and just use use and abuse everything, you know. that. Um, so um, I, I kind of partly agree with what, what um, Gareth is saying to us. But um, I, I'd just be about cautious about how that's applied. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think he was saying something uh, a little bit different almost. He was sort of saying we can just do, well, I mean, he is literally saying we can just do whatever we want because we have control or dominion over the earth. So the so the linguistic point, so I just looked it up. I'm not, this coming from my own just wonderful knowledge. Mm. So Rawdor is the is the word, Rawdor. Um, no. and, and, it, and it is true. If you look up the other usages in scripture, they're always to do with, well, almost always to do with that ruling, like, you know, political rulership and dominion in that sense. Um, but I would just say that the um, the way, so I, I agree I, with you, Daniel, I'm, I'm very much on the same page in many ways. And uh, I think that when you look at, for example, so I've just been thinking about Noah and the flood. When you look at the reason that, um, and I did a podcast with Nick Dixon, by the way. And his, the yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, just listen Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So that's on the current thing podcast. So you can check that out if you're interested. But it's interesting. I mean, if you just take that as one example, why does God judge the earth in the flood? It's not anything to do with the fact that, the you know, the earth has, has been used poorly and, and, you know, there's been environmental damage. It's moral. There's a moral damage that... Um, it's moral judgment. It's for it's for violence, specifically in the in the Noah story. But you know, God frequently judges um, his people and other people for other reasons, like you know, um, sexual immorality, for example. This is why he judges Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. But anyway, um, if you look at uh, so so in that sense, I don't, I wouldn't I would be very hesitant to elevate it to the same kind of level which you often see in kind of political in uh, sorry contemporary religious discourse, where you know maintaining the environment is sort of put on the same level as obedience to to god's moral law i don't really see it in that way but just if you look at it in genesis chapter one then god said let let us make man in our image after our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea so i'm sniffling a bit because my cold dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth uh nick dixon had this funny thing about how really there should be a word for insect in hebrew because you have to say 
over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth every time we want to say insect. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves uh, on the on the earth. And, and it goes on. It talks about plants and seeds and and animals and so on and so forth. But you have to ask yourself the question, if God's commandment to us is to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue the earth, that is talking about a certain type of stewardship of the environment, which would be conducive to the flourishing of humanity on the earth. So you can make a kind of environmental, you know, in, in inverted commas, uh, argument from scripture by saying that the, the purpose of the earth, that God gives us the earth to rule over the earth. Yes, with the animals under us. So the animals still exist. We're, we're not, you know, it's it's not it's not a great thing if we we populate the earth with human beings but we we prohibit the animals from flourishing and multiply which is also something that god says to the animals earlier in genesis one so so animals and humans live together in a kind of symbiotic relationship in in genesis chapter one and the cultural mandate is that human beings would be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it so i would say that that would that would entail a kind of environmental responsibility such that those conditions could should be brought about so mm. i would say that the idea that you can you know just say well god gives us the earth and we can just do whatever the hell we want with it i don't i don't agree with that and i think that was kind of the thrust of the 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 question the ref question I mean, it wasn't really a question, was it? Yeah, no, I, I think I suppose I, I, I'm just sort of putting out there that I think it's also to do with cultic practices that the the that Moses and the Israelites are seeing in uh, in Egypt, which is that mankind is beholden to um, you know base forces that we should that that it's completely normal for us to be worshiping goats and sheep yes uh and that there are primordial forces which are in a sense grander than us yeah uh and that um in a cultic form what he is saying no all of that is is rubbish um the human person whether they're pharaoh uh or a, you know a, a lowly craftsman are equal in the image of god and therefore uh, on the top of the hierarchy and all of this stuff. I mean, because the Egyptian religion was basically, um, there was some, there was goats and cats, you know, goats were the big, hence the slaughtering of the lambs. You know, yeah. you take you take the, the nation's main mascot and you basically burn it in front of them on, on the night of Passover yeah. uh, uh, and splay its blood on the door. You know, you're making a comment about your dominion over the um, yeah. cult. And I suppose that also, you know, maybe that touches a bit about what we were saying about AI earlier on, you know, this idea that there are um, man-made, you know, that we might, we might put ourselves second to lesser creations, to creations that we have made. Um, yeah, yeah, which uh, is a form of it's a classic form of idolatry, isn't it? Making yeah, gods out of wood and stone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just, just one other thing on this. I just want to just finish off uh, my thoughts, at least, um, by saying that um, having said that stuff about dominion and stewardship and being fruitful, filling the earth, and so on and so forth, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that therefore you buy into every single empirical claim that's made about the destruction of the environment yeah. you know in in the contemporary world so it doesn't entail that you have to buy the kind of apocalyptic climate narrative and in many ways i think the apocalyptic narrative is actually contrary to scripture anyway because god promises 
you know, after the, after the flood, that he won't flood the earth again, and you know, uh, seed time and harvest won't cease. So I think you have to factor that kind of stuff in. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily. But do you see this is a kind of subtle distinction here? I think I think that it calls for subtlety. I think you know clearly it is a good thing to um, to steward the earth, to have a good environment for human beings and animals to live in, to have a beautiful world, to have you know not have our you know the nature of you know, nature and beauty and 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 the, the diversity of species and everything destroyed you know we don't want those things and and that's that's fine to say that that doesn't make you some kind of eco-alarmist lunatic it makes you a it makes you a responsible human being so you can say that without saying you know going to a Greta Thunberg rally and talking about how the world's about to end in five minutes and how we've all got to throw away our gas boilers and all of this kind of political ideology stop eating meat you know this kind of political ideology that comes with that that, that to me, those two things to me are, are separate things, and and very importantly so. Um, any further thoughts on that, Daniel? Or should we go to uh, our let's, final prayer? Let's go on because my time's pressing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. No, can I just do a quick plug, and then you read Advent one, and then you can go. Uh, if that's right. So uh, if you invite, if you enjoyed the show, please support us. Um, please uh, become a patron today. Go on a reverendbod.com and support us p- uh, uh, every month. Uh, for £1.50 plus VAT in the UK per month. That's all you need to do. Click on the big red button on our website, revenpod.com, and support us in our mission. We really rely on this money. We're funded by our listeners. So please become a supporter today, and you will get episodes early. You will get our free, well, it's not free because you're paying for it. You'll get our bonus audio pod, Uncollared, which is really fun and interesting, and sometimes, you know, a bit more controversial because it's a bit, you know, it's hidden behind a paywall. We can say a few more things. So go on the website, revenpod.com, um, become a patron or buy us a coffee if you don't want to become a monthly subscriber really really helps us and we rely on it so please do that today thank you so much daniel let's have a final prayer uh, are we having a final prayer that's it yeah, no, not going to do the next we'll do the next question another time oh yeah yeah sorry sorry yeah yeah sorry yeah no let's do, can we do the prayer then yeah we'll so um advent one do you want to do you want to go for it yeah let me, just get, let me get my prayer book Okay, so just to explain what we're going to do now, we're going to finish off with the final prayer. And uh, for that final prayer, I believe that Daniel is going to use the first collect uh, for Advent from the Book of Common Prayer, which is a very, very beautiful and famous collect, uh, deeply spiritual. And so I'm hoping that by the time I've finished explaining that, Daniel will have returned to his seat with his Book of Common Prayer and that he will be ready to say the collect. Indeed, here he is. This sounds... You sounded a bit like one of those David Dimbleby royal commentaries. <laughs> the king is now entering Westminster Abbey. That sort of filler yeah. stuff. Yeah. With his book of common prayer. Um, the great thing is, is that with Advent, we start at the beginning, don't we? We go right to the, it's the, it's the new Christian year, which again is uh, very counterintuitive to um, uh what we might to what we might think uh, here we go this is the first collect this is the foot this is the collect for the first sunday in advent almighty god give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son jesus christ came to visit us in great humility that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to life immortal 
through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost now and forever. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, lovely collect. Just summarising all of those themes that we've been speaking about, the first and second comings of Christ. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, Daniel, uh, thank you so much as always. Thanks to all, all our listeners for listening and supporting us. Please share the show, subscribe, you know, whatever you can do to get the word out, please do that. Email us, us at irreverendpod.com, uh, sorry, irreverendpod at gmail.com if you'd like to um, leave any questions or feedback. We read all our emails, uh, so please do that. But until next time, keep watch. And keep the faith. <laughs>